people used to keep the clothes forever and repair them and you know show them loads of love and attention whereas now with trends it's very easy just to dispose of Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Young at Art, the new arts and culture podcast that puts you in touch with a variety of established names and rising stars from the worlds of art, fashion and interior design who are shaking up the art world and redefining what it means to be a tastemaker today. I'm Harry Stevens, your host, and today we are speaking to Manchester-based fashion designer Olivia Welsh, who founded her fashion brand Olivia Annabelle Apparel in 2018 after graduating from BA Ons Fashion Design at the Cambridge School of Art, Angela Ruskin University. Olivia is a young designer who creates clothes with a historical twist, favouring a detailed narrative in the description and development of her capsule collections. Past collections of hers have been inspired by interesting people and periods of British history, including the Bloomsbury Group and the Age of the Regency, much to the delight of Bridgeton fans everywhere with that latter one. Olivia is committed to sustainable fashion and size inclusivity, creating clothes in UK sizes 8 to 22, and her brand has been featured in a selection of magazines and newspapers, including LUK, The Independent, Stella, The Times and L'Officiel USA, to name a few. Olivia has sent her clothes to buyers in over 30 countries and has an international fan base. Olivia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me today. First of all, where are you speaking to us from today? Where in the world are you? Are you in Manchester at the moment? I'm currently in my flat, also known as Olivia Annabelle Studio, and <laughs> Wilmslow, Cheshire, just on the outskirts of Manchester. Now, as we speak, you're about to launch your latest collection, which will be going out later this month and when this episode comes out it will already be out you've called it the lady vanishes olivia i'm really glad to speak to you now because i really want to find out more about this collection i haven't seen it no one else has seen it but you can you tell us what can we expect to see from your collection that you're bringing out this month so it's a bit of a contrast to my winter collection which was inspired by king arthur and the knights of round table so i've kind of gone for a completely different look just because i always like to mix it up each season to see what works and what doesn't so next season, it's inspired by 1930s silhouettes. So like, you know, lovely, like silky and um, slinky tea dresses, um, inspired mainly by like Agatha Christie stories. So I've looked into a lot of the Poirot books, like Death on the Nile, Murder on the Orient Express. And it's quite good timing because the Death on the Nile film has just come out. So you can really get into the feel of it if you go watch the film and then see my collection. The prints are inspired by things that like occur in like Agatha Christie and like mystery novels of the 30s so we've got things like you know um kind of a bit like a Cluedo kind of vibe so we've got a print that features like clues and things that go down um say like Poirot but like who's done this and so I've got little icons that are very like synonymous with like Poirot like there isn't a little mustache in there I was tempted but <laughs> Um, there's little things like a pocket watch there's a poison bottle there's a knife all these kind of um fun things that you think when you think about Agatha Christie and my plan for the photo shoot is to have 
lots of different models of different shapes, sizes, ages, races, everything, which kind of encapsulates the Agatha Christie vibe of having so many different suspects with very distinctive like features. Like you've got the, la the lady of the manor, the suspicious maid, the doctor and all that kind of like fun stuff. Oh, I love it. And, uh, you know, this is kind of so classic for you to have and something really historical that's inspired your collection. So you mentioned, obviously, you've had Agatha Christie inspire it. Is there anything else that you've had that you've just seen and you thought, I've got to have that in my next collection? Any other kind of interesting bits of history or, or, or inspirations or books or anything? So I was literally brought up on like period dramas and my favourite period drama when I was younger. I used to sit and watch Poirot all the time with my mum and dad. And I used to be obsessed with Miss Levon's clothes and her hair, and it was just these wacky little like 1920s hairstyles. So I've always wanted to do something on that era. And I, my, my ideal era would be to do 1920s, but I want to save the 1920s for like a Christmas collection or something that I can go like really out there. So for me, the next, my second favorite era is the 1930s, and I love the shapes of the clothes. So during lockdown, I watched a lot of documentaries on Agatha Christie and what inspired her novels and how she put a lot of herself into the books. Like she put a lot of her own personality into her characters. So I found that really fascinating that the ideas that she came up with are absolutely amazing and the locations that she used to visit, she would then put into her books. So from watching those documentaries, I was like, I have to do something with this idea because she was so in such an interesting woman and she even went missing herself in like the twenties and nobody knows where she went and she created her own mystery nobody's ever <laughs> really got down to the bottom of it I was like I have to do something to do with Agatha Christie because she's so such an inspiring lady so that's where the inspiration came from and then this year just felt like the right year to do it because this will be the first summer where we have a proper summer we can get out and do things we can actually go on holiday so it's like a proper summer collection whereas in previous years I've kind of done it a bit more I've held back on doing very full summer collections because we've been in lockdown. For my winter collection that I'm designing at the moment, I've been inspired by Victorian dandy fashion. So I've just, I've literally bought so many uh, books on Victorian dandy fashion, mainly from the V&A, because there's an exhibition on at the moment called Fashioning Masculinities, which I'm going to head down and have a look at. But to go alongside that, I found this book and it's called Bitten by Witch Fever. And it's all about wallpapers in the Victorian home. It's quite funny because they used to use arsenic to dye these wallpapers. And well, I mean, it's not really funny. It's quite sinister. These wallpapers used to kill people slowly in their homes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Even when these people realised it was arsenic in the wallpapers, they still used them because they were so fashionable. They wanted to be up to date with the fashion, so they still used them. So I've got that book and I've been flicking through and using that as like a colour reference because... My main inspiration is Oscar Wilde and the picture of Dorian Gray. And that, that has kind of like a sinister element to it. And I also feel like it's a bit ironic as well that people would use these wallpapers knowing it would kill them, but they were willing to go through it because it was fashionable. And I think that's kind of like a, an Oscar Wilde kind of vibe because he always used a lot of irony and had a lot of quotes about how ugly the fashion industry is. So, yeah, so that's what is inspiring me for autumn winter amazing I can't wait to see when that comes out Olivia and just describe to us this latest collection that you're about to bring out what are the pieces like what can our viewers expect to see when it comes out soon so I've got lots of really pretty 1930s tea dresses 
I've got a suit coming out, which I've called the Hastings suit after um, Hastings, who's the main character in Poirot. And that's almost like a 1930s safari suit. And that's probably like my favorite piece because I love a matching set. And I get really happy if I get an order through and somebody's bought a matching set. I'm like, yes, you're my ideal kind of customer. <laughs> and I've also got a little short and like a, it's very, I've taken more inspiration from my actual 1930s clothing than I would with like more historical periods because the 1930s, obviously it's more recent and it's more wearable and it's kind of having a moment with them. Um, it's perfect for summer really I can't wait to see it when it comes out thank you so much for describing it to us Olivia we'll talk more about your process and how you create a collection later but I want to talk to you now about your some of your previous collections the one particularly that you released last summer called In Possession of a Good Fortune which I absolutely loved and that's how I kind of found you and your designs obviously inspired by the opening line to Jane Austen's novel Pride and Prejudice and really closely linked to the kind of whimsy nature of Regency fashion highlights included the nightly coat in a print inspired by the Vauxhall Park in London where high society promenaded in the 19th century of course we've seen that in Bridgerton kind of redone I would have died for a shirt in that print Olivia I thought it was beautiful tell us more about that collection in possession of a good fortune and what it meant for your brand because it feels so kind of true to your design style and your love of design in possession of a good fortune I took it completely I'd kind of tried to streamline my brand a bit beforehand I did much simpler shapes simpler prints because I thought I was trying to be more commercial because people kept saying oh you need to be more commercial and you're too niche and then for in possession of a good fortune I was like I just want to go really out there I want to take actual like little Spencer jackets and like remake them for a modern audience and the prints were really important we have to get the prints right and I'd say that's probably one of my most popular collections because everybody just loves Pride and Prejudice I picked a very popular theme and I was very lucky because I just started designing it before Christmas and my mum actually said to me she was like oh there's something coming out at Christmas called Bridgerton and it looks very on brand for you and I was like oh yeah I'll watch it because it's period drama and I had no idea how big that was going to be and I think Bridgerton helped massively in just helping me launch my brand really because everybody was on like bitten by Bridgerton fever everyone loved it and then I launched my collection not long after that was released and it was just as we were coming out of lockdown in the April so I think everybody had like a rush of like confidence what we're going to do stuff this summer we're going to go promenade around national trust properties and um Olivia Annabelle's nightly co and things like that so it did really well and I was a bit worried that it wouldn't do well because I know my my stuff isn't that commercial it is very niche but there is a market for it um so I was a bit worried if it was going to work and then it, it did so well and I think I was helped massively the fact that everybody seems to love Jane Austen. I've never met anyone who's like, oh no, I hate Jane Austen. Everybody loves Jane Austen. Everybody loves Pride and Prejudice. And when I was picking the title of the collection, I, I really didn't know what to call it. And then I was like, oh, maybe I should call it In Possession of a Good Fortune. And my sister, who's an English literature student, was like, no, that's too obvious. And I'm like, I think I need to make it obvious because people, and as soon as I put it out, I was like, oh, my next collection is In Possession of a Good Fortune. My inbox on Instagram was absolutely flooded with people like, oh my gosh, is it Jane Austen themed? So I'm so glad that I actually went with that title and that whole theme. It was, yeah, it was a really good move. As I said, it, it's what I found you you know doing and I just I thought it was just beautiful and I, and I wanted to bring it up today because I think so much today fashion is just about what's next and actually I think it's really nice to pause and see what you've done you know what everyone's done before and especially with your your young brand 
Olivia, tell us where, again, where did this sort of start for you? Did you read Pride and Prejudice again and think I've got to do this? Or did you see you know, an adaptation and just think, oh, I really want to kind of do something inspired? Because as you mentioned earlier, obviously the older in history you get, the harder it is to kind of make these pieces wearable. So how did you start with it and think, actually, this is what I want to do. This is the kind of style of collection I want to make next. So in 2020, the last film I watched before we went into lockdown at the cinema was Emma. And it was like the remake of Emma. And I absolutely love that film. I love every element of it. I love the costumes. I love the colours. I love everything. I love all the actors in it. It's just Me too. It's, it's just the best. <laughs> I love it. And I, I've honestly watched it about 10 times. I, I adore that film. So, and I knew coming up that summer, I'd already planned the whole Bloomsbury group collection. So I was like, I can't do it for this summer. And it didn't really lend itself very well to a winter collection. I'd already picked my high seas collection for winter. So I was like, it has to be next summer. So like the whole year I was like, oh, I really want to do this collection. So it was kind of a year on from watching Emma. I mean, I'd already watched it like 10 times that year anyway, but it, I had to like hold on to that idea for a year. But it gave me a year to really plan what I wanted. Um, and I knew I always wanted to do something to do with Pride and Prejudice or anything Jane Austen themed eventually. I just had to have the guts to do it and to do it justice, which with certain themes that I have in my head and plan when I plan, I have to make sure that I can actually do it justice and that it's not just going to be like a, a half-hearted effort. And with that collection, I feel like I did do it justice. And the prints... I love the fact that the prints almost like tell the story of like your classic Jane Austen novel. So we really nailed it with the prints and the shape. So it was really, it was really successful in that kind of regard. And it was really the collection that launched me into like the Instagram world, like how you found me. That was the collection that got me noticed. You mentioned earlier about kind of people persuading you to make it a bit more wearable and not so niche. Why do you think your niche is really important to your brand? Why is it important that you know, for a young designer listening who wants to find their niche, that they stick to it and don't necessarily listen to people around them who are telling them not to? Well, I had it for such a long time because Olivia and I took such, it took a few years to get off the ground. And I had like close friends saying, you know, you should really be looking towards like Garni and all these Copenhagen and like Scandi brands. And I was thinking, I was like, but I'm not a Scandi brand. I'm from Manchester. And <laughs> This is not like Scandi stuff, although I, I like it. It's not my passion. My passion is historical fashion and the stories behind clothes. And I'm not trend-led. I'm not trend-based. I, I did kind of do a few big collars for the Bloomsbury group, but that was pure flute because I just saw an old blouse with a big collar one day and I was like, oh, I want to do something like that. So I try not to follow trends and things that I think, oh, well, in a few months, people will not wear that. I look at my pieces and I think, well, will I wear that in five years time? Yeah, I probably will. And um, so that's a big thing for me, not following trends, not if the color is in fashion, I might kind of like add it into a print, but I'm not going to do a whole collection because like lilac is in for the summer or a particular shape is in for the summer. So for me, I kind of, once I'd realized that, I then decided to go completely against that whole trend led look. And I kind of went anti commercial as obviously you want to be commercial to a certain point but I don't want to be the kind of brand that somebody buys and then like a month like oh, no I don't want to wear that blouse now because it's out of fashion I really then had to like focus on what my niche was and I have I found customers from all over I have customers 
all over the world who all have completely different looks. I'm still wondering what my niche is. I have a lot of people who are into like cottage core kind of things and they they love my clothes. And, and a lot of people have compared me to like 1970s vintage designers like Gunsacks and all that kind of um, retro look. So I'm, it's quite, it feels nice I'm being compared to those kind of brands, but I'm still trying to find what my niche is. I can kind of picture my customer in my head, but I'm also quite flattered that so many different kinds of women buy my clothes as well. So my niche is still waiting to be finalized. <laughs> Watch this face. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think, Olivia, has been your favorite collection to date that you've ever, ever designed and created? Oh no, this is such a hard It's question. really hard. I'm sorry. <laughs> your favorite child is. And <laughs> um, I I love I love Avalon collection was kind of like my dream collection because my favorite um, print is like tartan inspired print. So I actually use a lot of Scottish inspired um, prints and designs for that collection because I love Scotland. And I feel like I put a lot of my heart and soul into the Isle of Avalon collection. And I really went in with like my favorite shapes, my favorite um, colors, prints, details. So it is a hard question to answer because I, feel, I like all of them for different reasons. And I know that I'm going to love my next collection, even though I always panic beforehand that I'm oh, people are going to hate it. But then they always seem to <laughs> like it, which is, which is good. But then I know that my autumn winter collection come up will probably be my favorite as well. So every collection that I'm working on is my favorite for those few months that it's out. So, yeah. I want to ask you now about kind of running a business and how you set up your brand. Firstly, what made you start your brand? What was it that you thought, oh, this is what I want to do. This is what I, this is what I want to want to be. Came back from uni. Um, I was in Cambridge and I came back and I thought, oh, it'd be quite easy to get a job in the fashion industry in Manchester because there's loads of brands. And then when I was looking, it was just the only places where I could get a job were like the big fast fashion brands like Boohoo, Misguided, Pretty Little Thing. I mean, I've never shopped with those brands. I don't have any kind of relationship with those brands anyway but I felt like the look isn't me I don't like the whole concept of fast fashion and I mean there's fast fashion like you know even like Marks and Spencers is effectively fast fashion but places like Boohoo and Pretty Little Thing and Misguided they are ultra ultra fast fashion it's like a constant worry that all these clothes are being produced and just being like pumped out into the environment and I feel we've lost touch with what clothes actually are like they're supposed to the things that you're supposed to save up for to treasure and then think, oh, I really, really love this outfit. I'm so happy to put it on. And, you know, further down the line in a few years, you're like, oh, I still love this jacket so much. I all of a sudden kind of realised that is what I want to create, like keepsake pieces. And when I, I went into Manchester one day with my mum shopping, we went around all the shops. I was like, there is not one thing I could buy here. And I think, number one, it'll probably fall apart in five years. And I will have in five years time and think, oh, I still want to wear this. So that's what made me think I want to make things that people want to keep forever. So it wasn't that long after uni that I realized that. And my whole time at uni, I did historical fashion mainly. And I looked into things like the meaning behind certain clothes and accessories, like mourning brooches and like the story behind them so then that got me thinking I should create a story behind my clothes as well so, so I kind of wanted to capture the magic of antique and vintage clothes but for a modern day audience 
I think you've achieved it really well. And I hope anyone listening who isn't aware of your brand will have a look frantically on their phone now and, and be seeing, and hopefully they'll agree with me. What advice, Olivia, would you give someone who wants to set their own fashion business up, but maybe isn't sure where to start? Because you were very young when you set this up and you know, you're still a young designer. And so yeah. what advice would you give to someone who is wanting to start this journey in their in their fashion life, but isn't maybe sure where to start? I think get down a really strong, like what branding profile. So what do you want to achieve from your fashion brand? Do you want to be slow fashion? Do you want it to be made to order? And like, what message does your brand have? Because I have um, a lot of friends on Instagram who run their own brands and the most successful ones are the ones that have a message and they have like, you know, they, they are anti-fast fashion or oh, they are slow fashion made to order. So they'll, or they'll make 10 pieces and then once they're sold out, they're completely sold out. You can't order anymore. You can't just launch a fashion brand and have no message nowadays I think especially on Instagram when that is so important you there's so many fashion brands for people to pick out there so you need to have a reason why are people going to shop with you what makes you different what makes you special and if people have a hundred pounds to spend an address why should they spend it with you thank you Olivia that's really really good advice I'm sure our listeners will really appreciate that um, and just before we move on to your process and how you create a collection, I want to ask you about something else you've done recently, um, which is still ongoing. And it's um, you've set up a Ukraine crisis appeal raffle to give away a piece of clothing from your brand and a bespoke piece of jewellery from Agnes Walker with 100 percent of the proceeds going to the Red Cross. Why was it important to you, um, Olivia, to set up this raffle to aid Ukraine and aid the war that's going on there currently? I think as a brand and as somebody has like not a massive following on Instagram but a bit of a following I feel like it is kind of our not duty but I feel like it's a good idea to actually use it for some good as well as just promoting your own brand and business during lockdown we did something similar but for the NHS we launched a Florence Nightingale t-shirt and we raised a thousand pounds for the NHS we've done it once before so I thought well this is a good opportunity to try this again and I've just been away for two weeks in Virginia so I came back like I was thinking the whole time like what could we do and this just felt like quite a good way to raise money but also means that you've got something as a keepsake afterwards and you can kind of remember the good that you've done as well with that the special crown that Agnes Walker has designed which is like the only one in the world and then they can pick an Olivia Annabelle piece as well so it just felt like a good a good thing to do whilst I've got a bit of a following and yeah it's just every little helps. I'm so excited now to talk to you about your process and your inspirations and kind of talk about this more because I was itching to ask you and I didn't want to kind of overtake the first few sections but I'm really excited to kind of ask you about this now so as you've mentioned Olivia your collections are intrinsically linked to a period of history or a piece of art or a person or a book or a collection of people tell us Olivia how do you translate historical fashion into something wearable you know what are the kind of practical things you have to do to change you know, something like a Regency dress that you might see, as you mentioned in the film, Emma, you know, how do you kind of translate that into something actually wearable? Because I don't think all of our listeners will be aware that kind of how these, you know, clothes from history were actually really difficult to wear. And, and to, to a modern audience who are used to kind of jeans and a t-shirt, they're completely different to anything we would imagine. So how do you go about kind of making that practical into modern life? You know, what, what particular details do you think, oh, I can transfer that into something that someone would want to wear today? Well, with my um, Spencer jacket that I made for In Possession of a Good Fortune, 
Um, I call that the Bennett jacket after the Bennett family. I took the kind of principles of a Spencer jacket with a little puff sleeve and the little turn up cuff with a pearl button. And I actually studied the ones that are in the V&A Museum in London. And I thought, I was like, well, how can I make this so that you could just wear it every day? Because I'd love to wear a Spencer jacket, but they're so cropped that like they literally just fitted around the bust. So I made it longer so it finishes just below the waist. So, you know, you could still wear them with high-waisted jeans if you wanted to. And then I also thought, well, original Spencer jackets were usually made from silk and they were heavily embroidered. And I'm like, no, he's really going to wear a jacket like that out and about. It'd be really impractical. So I actually decided it's actually made from denim. So it's made from like a crew denim and then it's printed with the uh, the maize print. So it's a, another little touch to where they would wear the Spencer jackets, like just promenading around the garden. And then I did a classic Olivia Annabelle collar, slightly oversized collar with the ruffle. So instead of making it um, like a scoop neck, how they would have worn them, I made them higher just because then it looks more like a casual jacket than a formal jacket. So I think also just by making it denim, made it every day rather than um, this very prim and proper formal little jacket that they would have worn. So I do look a lot to modern day fabrics to make things more modern. But mainly denim is like my kind of trick to making it instantly more modern. And then with the matching trousers, which I was really unsure if people would actually buy the trousers. They're basically, they're just jeans and they're printed. And then I was like, I have to add one little like Regency spin. So they've got the split up the front with the bow, which matches with the jacket. So yeah, it's modern fabrics help with making it more wearable for today. Um, and things like the empire line dresses I kind of had a bit of a moment last year which is which worked in my favor but I had to make them slightly looser fitting because nobody wants something ultra ultra fitted and restricted around the bus and we also don't wear corsets nowadays so <laughs> we don't have that kind of restriction so I made it so it fitted slightly below the bus and then it was very very floaty so you weren't restricted at all really really interesting Olivia thank you and and tell us more about your prints because you make, you design them all in-house, don't you? Your fabulous prints that you have in your collections. Tell us more about how they begin and, and, and how they are created. Because I think our listeners probably won't have assumed that you make them all yourself. So tell us more about that and, and how you create your prints. So the prints are actually really hard to kind of um, work together. I used to have, um, last year I had, um, my best friend used to work with me as well. So she used to help me design prints. So we used to work together and she would come with the prints and I would, and we try and make them work together. And it's actually, that that's the hardest part. I mean, I can design a collection full of shapes and think, oh yeah, that, that works as a collection. That's amazing. But then when you put the prints and the colors in, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like, how long is a piece of string? Because there are so many different prints and color combinations we can do. And it gets to a point where we have to be like, no, we have to leave it now. It works as it is. <laughs> and we can literally design like, 20 25 prints per collection then we have to narrow it down to like maybe five six if we really like them and I think if people actually look at my collections they'll notice that absolutely every piece is printed like we don't do anything plain I am looking at maybe doing a few more plain things going forward just as like classic pieces that people can buy and they don't feel restricted by color or print but the prints are kind of like my signature so I feel like I can't drop them completely and the prints going forward for my 1930s collection 
are a bit different that I've done in the past because they're a bit more kind of conversational they're a bit more like humorous with that the imagery that I've used and then going forward for autumn winter they're very like classical very Victorian looking with the theme but they just they take such a long time to do the prints because I'll do a print I'll spend all day doing it and then at the end of the day I think oh my gosh I hate that print it's not going to work but then sometimes prints that I think I, that I don't like and I put into the collections sometimes are the best-selling prints so I really can't call it I'm going to play devil's advocate for just a second, Olivia. So given that you're a young designer, why do you look so much into the past for inspiration? Why do you think history is so intrinsic to your design style and, and what you do? It's very personal to me because I love history and I always feel like I was born in the wrong era. But I mean, I always say that, but I know parts of history would have been awful to live in. <laughs> but I, I think me with being a bit of like a fantasist, a bit of a, a like looking around like national trust properties and like reading all these books it's kind of it's very it summarizes who I am like this Olivia Annabelle is it's me so when people say oh it should be more commercial I find it a bit offensive because I'm like this is like me my heart body and soul has gone into Olivia Annabelle I do sometimes look at futuristic themes but I I just don't like modern fashion um I mean I wear modern fashion like I but I always try to find something that has a bit of a an old spin on it I'm just not I'm an old soul I'm an old soul trapped in a modern day body so I just I do always look to the past because I just find it really inspiring and a lot of things in the past work so well like a Breton stripe um Chanel um took that idea from like the sailors that used to wear them in the south of France and now we all wear Breton stripes and it's like that originated from effectively like a uniform or some very very ultra casual sailors wear so I find that really interesting we've taken something that was just really like just not nothing special and now it is special like we all wear Breton stripe things like jumpsuits the women in the Lance army used to wear them just to like pick vegetables and now like, we all wear jumpsuits like it's a fashion item so all these ideas at the time were modern so, but I I just prefer to look into the past. I just find it fascinating. These things work for a reason. So I don't think they should be changed. Um, if it, and it kind of goes forward with the trends thing. A lot of things that have um, been in the last fashion week, I absolutely hated. Like there wasn't really many shows that I liked um, because it's ultra modern. I think it's designed with a certain look in mind that not we're not all, you know, six foot tall and absolutely tiny. Um, a lot of modern designs, I think, are designed for a certain kind of woman and are not that inclusive. I completely agree with you, Olivia. I, I think, you know, modern clothes, they're not not as interesting as what's come before and especially not as romantic and whimsical. And there's no, as you said, there's no story. Olivia, tell us about your studio. What do you listen to when you're designing clothes? What, you know, tell us more about it. What's in the background? Um, you know, what are you listening to? What is it like when you work in your studio? So I have um, an Olivia Annabelle studio playlist, which is on Spotify. If anybody wants to download it, you're welcome to. I listen to really like dramatic music. Like sometimes like my sister used to come into my studio and she'd be like, why are you listening to such like dramatic and depressing music? But when I design, I find it really hard to listen to really upbeat music. I kind of listen to stuff that's very moody or I'll pick a theme that ties in with my theme. And then, especially when I used to work with my best friend and the prince, we used to listen to music, um, 
movie soundtracks a lot which sounds really embarrassing and really nerdy but it would like get us into like the zone so when we designed the Gloriana collection we listened to the Elizabeth at the Golden Age soundtrack which sounds really stupid but it helped us get into the mindset of Elizabeth the first um so I say Louis Grand Studio is very atmospheric when you come in it just depends what mood I'm in um and at the moment it is a bit of a mess because I'm like mid-packing I've had um, a delivery of new stock come in so there's like dresses everywhere so it's um I'd say Olivia Annabelle Studio is a creative chaos at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Olivia thank you for telling us more about that. Olivia I have an episode on the podcast about one of my inspirations which are country houses and I think they're a really great place to seek cultural and artistic nourishment and are such a great asset to this country. I'm sure you'll agree as you've mentioned them a few times but with that in mind do you have any places that inspire you and in the way that you design or live your life where are some of the places that you you go to to get this inspiration for what you're doing next I do get a lot of inspiration from the English countryside so if I want to find or if I just want to go on a walk to think about inspiration I would walk through the English countryside I'm not far from Audley Edge Forest and Audley Edge Forest is really ancient and I've been going since I was tiny and I was walking through there with my friend last year and that's where I came up with the inspiration for um, my Arthurian legend collection because that is the well there's a, a legend that that is where Merlin lives in Old Edge Forest and there's you can read about the myth online it's quite it's quite fun to read so there's a lot of like um Arthurian legend and like wizard themed things around Audley Edge so just by taking that walk one day I wasn't even thinking about a collection I was just walking I was like it'd be really cool to do a collection on like the myth of Audley Edge so I do find a lot of inspiration in the English countryside like with the Bloomsbury thing going through English country gardens so I'd say just being out in the fresh air and countryside I take a lot of inspiration from that and it helps that I live not far from the Cheshire countryside which is beautiful I think it's the most beautiful part of the UK um, and I think there's a lot of like with the Oldley Edge myth and legend you can take a lot from the English countryside and the things about like certain flowers and um, folklore around like forests and like um, I, I do find a lot of inspiration that I have so many books on um, the British countryside and folklore and um, a lot of them made by the, the National Trust as well. So I go to, all, I have a National Trust membership, so I'm there all the time. So <laughs> I do find a lot of inspiration from that kind of area. But also, like you say, country houses, I mean, it was very unfitting for my in possession of a good fortune collection and also with the Bloomsbury group. Um, and it is kind of with my 1930s collection. I think we do have a fascination with these English country houses. We write so much and so much is themed around these absolutely incredible houses that we're lucky to still have today. And where do you think your love of history comes from, Olivia? Were you interested in it at school? You know, where do you think you got your love of history from? Well, my mum and dad are, are really into history. And when I was little, we lived in a really old house. Um, it was called Claremont and it was tiny, but it was actually 
The house was built by this lord of the man. He built it for his mistress. So it was a tiny house, but it was quite grand inside because he'd made it all like lovely for his mistress. He wanted to keep her happy. And it was beautiful. My mum and dad did it up like a proper Victorian house. It was like walking into a museum. And so I've always been surrounded by history. It was always full of like antiques and old paintings and cast iron radiators. And even my friends used to come to my house and I think, these find it a bit scary, but these are <laughs> the house is really magical. It's like something out of a fairy tale. So just my surroundings growing up were very, just very old fashioned. And my mom and dad have always just watched periodrams. They've always been into old things. But my mom and dad always used to take me when I was little to like um, antiques and uh, I was dragged up around all these places. And I think it just, I was never surrounded by modern Thing. So I've, I've always been drawn to history. We've always gone to old houses at the weekend. And I felt my mom and dad just took me and my sister. They just assumed that we would just, you know, enjoy it. We never went to like play areas. We went to an antique centre. So I've always been surrounded by history. So I think growing up, and I've always been fascinated by history at school. I used to love history because it just felt like you were sitting in the lesson listening to stories all day it didn't feel like you were actually in a lesson you had to learn the stuff it was like because I loved it anyway I was just absorbing all the knowledge so it definitely comes from my mum and dad's love of history I think I am um, we didn't have any like modern fireplaces in my childhood home they were all like the original um range and all that kind of stuff so it's just it's embedded in me from being young there was no escape I could never have been into modern stuff <laughs> Oh, it sounds so, it's so wonderful, your childhood. And, you know, it's really resonates with mine, actually. I had my parents live in an old house and you'd, it does really shape who you are, I think. If you like buildings and you like that kind of magic of an old house and, you know, imagining who lived there, absolutely. And are there any people that inspire your work, Olivia? Because am I right in saying that your nana was a dressmaker? Does she, is that where you think you get your love of fashion from or do you think it was from somewhere else? So on both sides of the family, I've got um, very creative grandparents. So my grandma, yeah, she was a dressmaker um, and her mom was also a dressmaker. So when I used to be dropped off by my parents at my grandma's house, she'd be, oh, I've got a sewing project for us to do. Or I've got something crafty. We would just always be doing craft projects. And my grandparents on my other side, my granddad was a painter and my great granddad was also a painter. So I've always been encouraged to do arty and crafty things which is great because I have like my sister is very very clever she's like got the brains in the family and I was creative and I'm quite lucky that my family have always pushed me to be creative like they've never held me back and said oh no you have to do something academic um, and I think when I went to uni my mum and dad were worried about me going and doing an arts degree because they thought, well, well, you'll never get a job in the arts. You'll never make money. And I was like, well, I'm determined to make it work. And I did. So I'm kind of lucky that I've always had the support from my family to be artistic and, you know, be as creative as possible and, you know, try and make it work. Um, because that is a problem with a lot of arts degrees. Like there aren't enough arts jobs when you leave uni on a big problem is like companies actually wanting to pay for people's design skills. I mean, there's so many unpaid internships out there, which I think are really, it's just really unfair for you've gone to uni for all these years to do something you love and that you're talented with. And then people are just do not appreciate or they want your skills, but they don't want to pay for them. So 
I'm kind of very lucky that I've made Olivia Annabelle work for me. And I'm lucky that my parents have always been like, yeah, do it. Like, go for it. Don't. Like, they've never been like, oh, give up and go get a job somewhere. They really have helped. Like, they've really pushed me, which is good. Um, I know not everybody has that support, so I am very lucky. We're kind of approaching the end, but I thought I'd just ask you more about your brand principles um, because there are obviously many challenges of being a designer today lots of problems with sourcing and issues in the industry like sustainability and ethics and one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the podcast is because the sustainability and ethics are at the core of your brand in 2020 you phased out polyester and you ensure that people who make your clothes are paid a living wage with no child labor or human trafficking Olivia, why is sustainability so important to you when you launch your clothes and when you make your collections? Why is it so important that as an industry, fashion tries to be more sustainable? Collectively, if the fashion industry all made like little small changes like ethical workforce and sustainability and phasing out polyester, like virgin polyester is dreadful for the environment and it's something like 80% of the products on Boohoo's website are virgin polyester that's like polyester that has been made just for them and it's just it's just so important if all the companies made these small changes it would help across the board massively I decided very early on at, at the beginning I was making things more locally and I was just getting the nicest fabric that I could find. And it was polyester. And I just, I used to read all these statistics about, you know, polyester being sent to land. Like polyester will take something like 500 years to degrade. Like a pair of gym leggings, it's 400 years before it starts dis- to disintegrate. And I was like, I don't want to be adding to that problem. So then I was researching more into like sustainable fabrics. Like cotton isn't that sustainable. So you need to really do research into where you're getting your cotton made, how it's being grown, um, be, you know, look for organic cotton, because um, cotton can be quite damaging to the areas where it is grown. So you have to look into all that. I did look into, I've worked with viscose quite a lot, because viscose is half man-made, and it's natural fabric, but it's been man-made, like all fabrics really have. But viscose was invented by the Victorians to be like a fake silk. It was like a cheaper version of silk. So I kind of, have taken that as like my main fabric that I work with alongside a few pieces that are cotton just because it's gentler on the skin and you know when you put your cotton in the wash or your viscose you're not getting like particles coming out like polyester particles which you know also don't don't they don't go away um so I just knew that I had to make even if a small business like me makes small changes to get rid of my made fibers um, it does still make a difference. So if all the brands ended up doing this, it would make a huge difference. Um, with the ethical manufacturing, to me, it just made sense. Like, why would I want somebody to work for no money? And I always think if I pick up a dress and it's £30 in Marks and Spencers or wherever, I think, well, I wouldn't want to sit as, as a sewing machine and um, also cut out the fabric, do all the pattern cutting, and then sew it of me to get 30 pounds for that dress I think well no I'd want at least 100 pounds to make that dress so I think well why should my my workers are the same why should I expect them to work for a pittance and then me make reap all the rewards I think and I think a lot of like people don't actually realize when they're buying into these like very cheap brands that some like it's not a machine that has made these pieces it's people people have made them um so to me that was just 
they're big, I had to use ethical manufacturing. I had to make sure that my workers were just being paid like how they would be over here. Because I make my things in an ethical factory in India. Um, it's a husband and wife who run it. And I chat to them all the time. They send me videos of people in the factories. It just feels a bit more wholesome than obviously getting like children to make you things. It just absolutely disgusts me. And when I first set up Olivia Annabelle, I used to get a lot of emails from other manufacturers asking to make things for me. And their big selling points were that they didn't use children. And I'm like, that shouldn't be a selling point that you don't use children. And they're like, you know, because this many percentage of factories do in India, they do use children. I find that like just disgusting that that still happens. I just couldn't go ahead with that. So that was a big thing for me when I set up Olivia Annabelle's. It has to be ethically made. I can't say hand and heart is 100% sustainable because it is also being shipped. And once it's been made, it's being shipped here. And my ideal situation would be going forward in a few years time, setting up my own manufacturing kind of thing over here. Um, I would love for Olivia to get big enough so I could actually kind of bring like a bit of a textile industry back to Manchester have my own factory, hire skilled workers, tailors to make Olivia Annabelle pieces. Um, we'll just have to see how that dream goes. Well, I really hope it, it comes into fruition. That would be so lovely, Olivia. And, and, you know, like you said, it is to have, uh, you know, a company that's saying, oh, we don't use children as their kind of selling point is, is really abhorrent. So I'm really glad you've addressed that. And my final kind of topic is the future of the brand. And as we close, what is next for Olivia Annabelle? Olivia, what have you got in the, in the works? I know you kind of hinted this week on Instagram, maybe some homeware, maybe some menswear. What is your, what is your hope for the future? What do you want to achieve next? It would be lovely if I had some stockists. So that introduces a brand to people who have, you know, not encountered me online. So I've had a little bit of interest from some like small boutiques wanting to stock Olivia Annabelle, which would be great because it means that people can actually see the clothes in person and like feel them. Because sometimes when I send clothes out, people say, oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting it to be like such high quality and so lovely. So, and they love the colors more in person than they did seeing them online. So it would be fab if I did have stockists and my dream stockist of all time would be Liberty in London because it's my favorite shop. I absolutely love that shop and love how arty it is and it supports a lot of young up-and-coming small designers so that would be an, an ideal situation and um, the homeware thing I'd love to design wallpapers Um, that book about arsenic wallpapers has really like helped with that kind of dream and looking through it I would love to be able to produce wallpapers for people's houses I would like to create menswear I'm, I'm always really worried about menswear because I do actually get a lot of men buying like my women's wear and just like making it work for them. And I, I love seeing that. I'm like, that's so cool. Um, I did do a bit of menswear when I designed the shirts for Blossoms, the band, and it's on their album, all the um, music videos, and they wore it on tour. So that kind of gave me a bit of a feel for it. Would there be interest in it? Um, my dad's always pestering me to make him a shirt in my print. So that is something that I am going to look into. My big dream would be to have an Olivia Annabelle shop, like a little independent boutique where I sold Olivia Annabelle clothes, the wallpaper, but I would also buy things that I felt like would tie in with my brand quite well. So I've always thought about having like antique furniture in there as well, like covered in Olivia Annabelle fabrics. And so you can kind of like live and breathe and wear 
Olivia Annabelle, like the whole world of Olivia Annabelle. That'd be really fun. So yeah, that's my kind of plan. I don't know when all this is going to happen going forward, but um, that is the ultimate dream to have an Olivia Annabelle boutique. Oh, that is such a lovely note to finish on. Thank you, Olivia. It's been so lovely to speak to you. And if anyone from Liberty is listening, you know who to contact. <laughs> Let's make this happen. I, I really hope you can have your own boutique. That would be so exciting. Thank you so much, Olivia, for speaking to me today. It has been really great to have you here and hear more about your brand. Thank you so much for asking me. You can follow Olivia on Instagram at Olivia Annabella Apparel if anyone wants to follow her. And if you'd like to know more about her and her company, please look at the show notes for this episode and there'll be more information and links for there. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Young at Art. If you want to find out more about the podcast and see who will be joining us for next week's episode, please follow us on Instagram at Young at Art Podcast, where you will get updates and inspiration to keep you going until the next episode. A huge thank you for this week's guest for joining us and being with me today. If you want to know more about them and what they do, please look at the show notes of this episode for more information and links. If you liked what you heard today, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and press the notification button so that you will be notified when a new episode goes live. And finally, a huge thank you to Beatrice Ross for drawing the portrait of me for the cover art, as well as creating our logo. You can follow her at Beatrice Alice Ross. And also thank you to Maggie Talabart for creating our intro and outro music. You can follow her at Maggie underscore Talabart on Instagram. Thank you again for listening to this week's episode, and I hope you'll be joining us for the next one.